Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Thanks, as always, for sticking with me. I'm still in very heavy research mode and writing mode and lots of interesting things to share with you in probably just a few shows away for me to be able to reveal some of that stuff. But in the meantime, we've got a great show for you today. Trump was arraigned yesterday, so recording this, and then gave a high-energy speech laying out his legal case on why he thinks he's going to beat the rap. It was a horrible moment for the country, but a pretty strong moment for Trump as a presidential candidate. We give you all the details, plus we play a lot of important audio. Biden flew the groomer flag at the White House and then hung out with gender bender influencers, and it had really scary results. We explained some of those as well, and uh, not pleasant. Not pleasant, I will say that. Joel Pollack is our guest. He is a Breitbart News senior editor. He hosts Breitbart News Sunday on Sirius XM Patriot Channel, and he's also a Harvard-trained lawyer who gives all the legal arguments on Trump's behalf and against Trump. Just to give you a preview of what's to come as this thing plays out, he's got great information and analysis. You're not going to want to miss that. Let's get into it. It's a historic day, and it's one of these ones where I'm not a yeller in the microphone, but I, I, I so you won't be hearing me yell today because I don't tend to like those types of um, shows from me. I love them from other people. I mean, I mean, what's what's better when Levin starts yelling? I mean, nothing, nothing. When Michael Savage starts yelling, I mean, just like it just it's sensational. Uh, that, that's not how I do the show. I will not do it today. But if I was a yeller, today would be a yelling day. Um, our republic is under threat. There's no doubt about it. What's going on with the Biden administration and our justice system, which is just so perverted. And uh, I I was just going through a list of some of the failures of law enforcement, federal law enforcement in particular, over the last several years. And to think that their obsession is still the bad orange man. They just can't get enough. And we knew it to be true. And if you weren't convinced they didn't, they weren't deeply committed to having Donald Trump die in a jail cell somewhere than the original indictment a few months ago um, from Alvin Bragg, which was more trumped up than this one for sure. Um, That's all you needed to know. And Joe Biden could shut this one down at any point. He's not doing it. He's not doing it. He's going to plead ignorance. He's just going to let everything play out. And he doesn't care if he's presiding over something that's historic. Former president getting indicted federal level first time in 240 years the primary political opponent of the current regime might get thrown in jail and he could potentially win an election from jail. It's almost hard to picture it going that far, but sometimes it's hard to picture it not going that far. They've wanted this guy's blood so badly. And it is, you have to wonder where they would stop and it's not anytime soon. They're not done. They're not done. They're going to die him again, probably, and then again, and then again. I, I was the first person in the world, I guarantee you this, to predict he would get impeached twice. And I, 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 you guys know that I don't love patting myself on the back. I don't know if I'm that good at it. So uh, you know I'm doing it because I really think that's an important one. I thought that once he got impeached the first time, he get impeached again. And those of you who've been with the show know I said that probably before the first impeachment was even done. They're going to do it again. 
They're going to keep impeaching him. So long as he's in power, they'll impeach him a third time if he wins. Or a fourth. A fifth that they can do it. doesn't matter. They'll keep impeaching him. Uh, he represents something that is so much worse than the the end of the republic to them. He represents that their whole plan, this whole machine built by Joe Biden and all these oligarchs in the deep state over the last 50 years, that he's the biggest threat to it. Now, when he had the reins, did he do an amazing job? No, you guys know I don't think he did an amazing job in terms of dismantling the deep state. Um, and the chickens have come home in that regard a little bit in this particular case because there's only one reason that Hillary Clinton was not treated to the exact same fate as Donald Trump is being treated to, and that's Donald Trump. Donald Trump decided that she'd been through enough. It was his call. So we didn't indict her for very similar stuff, arguably worse, worse stuff. But still, this is the peak of the witch hunt. I've never seen it this bad. Um, I, I have to say, I told you guys that I uh, the, the, I found the Bragg indictment. Um, it, it did upset me. And I, I'm not a yeller. I'm also not someone who gets upset by things in the news. Um, and I've, I've, I've made my peace that we're in a managed decline era in this country. So I, uh, I was not surprised per se, but I, I was upset by it. Uh, this one, I'm already numb again. I'm already numb to that they're going to do everything they can. Uh, and I'm amazed at the endurance. If you saw Trump's energy yesterday in the speech, we're going to play a speech momentarily. We'll play a lot of it. It was a really terrific speech. Uh, but also not just the speech itself. What he, on the way to the speech, he went to a Cuban restaurant and he bought a bunch of food for people. And people saying happy birthday to him. They prayed with him. I'm sorry, it was right after the speech. Went to Cafe Versailles, bought a bunch of Cuban food for people. Amazing. It was amazing stuff. And people started singing. Uh, he seemed like he was almost having a good time yesterday, even though he's getting booked for a crime that so many others committed. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying Trump didn't commit a crime. I'm not going there. I'm not going to. I don't want to uh, lie to you and say, like, there isn't something bad happening because there is. But we're going through it at Breitbart. Joel's helping me do this. We'll have a big piece. Could be today. But we're going through all the cases where classified documents are mishandled. And if you think Trump's is even close to the worst, you're kidding yourself. Hillary Clinton, James Comey, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Mike Pence, Leon Panetta, David Petraeus, Mark Milley. And to get the sanctimony from people like the New York Times and the Washington Post who rely on leaks of classified documents. They get every single day. Their whole business model depended on this stuff. Illegal leaks. And they'll be the ones clutching their pearls the first. Did any of the people I mentioned serve one day in jail combined? No, and none of them are the former president. None of them had the ability to declassify anything at any moment. And none of them had were the current standard bearer of a political party, aside from Hillary. Who, of course, didn't serve jail time. Um, when Biden had his documents, he was some of those documents from the Senate, not, not, not even vice president. It doesn't matter, though, because he didn't have the security clearance anyway. Uh, it is a 
uh, it is one to get fired up if you're thinking about it. And I'll tell you, there's some extra good news too. If you saw some of the footage, and we had a lot of it at Breitbart News, had his lead story all day. You guys have got to go to Breitbart.com on Big News Days. This is where we're at our best. I am. I play it cool with how lucky I am sometimes about my colleagues and the incredible newsroom we built. Um, but we're at our best when it is fast-paced news day, uh, where there's one big earth-shaking story. That's when we do our absolute best work. You can never top us on a day like that. So you, if you're not brightbird.com, you're not getting all, all the information. That That is something you can take to the bank. But I was looking at the footage, and uh, people were pretty well-behaved. Good attitudes, positive, upbeat, you know, people emotional but not total basket cases. It made me feel a little encouraged. It made me feel a little encouraged because it'd be nice to be able to rally again and not feel like we're going to get trapped into some um, FBI op, not have some sort of repeat of January the 6th, not have something that makes it so that we can't all gather together as a group, which I think is uh, currently I still I, I, I would not recommend any of you individually that you start showing up these places yet. But if you're inclined to do it, if you have to do it, I mean, that's not me. I'm not wired that way. But if you if you are, if you had got to show up, yesterday was a good start because it seemed like the people who gathered did so in such a way where they're not going to get manipulated by the Antifa crowd, the left, or the feds who want you to screw up, who want to create another January the 6th narrative. Um, I, I don't have any blinding insights, which is why it should be a good day for calls because I want to see if you guys do maybe you do but I will tell you that Trump's speech was really uh, heartening to me and I want to start with that I want to start with this speech let's go from the top Mr. Zach well thank you very much thank you it's a great honor to have you here and Today, we witnessed the most evil and heinous abuse of power in the history of our country. Very sad thing to watch. A corrupt sitting president had his top political opponent arrested on fake and fabricated charges of which he and numerous other presidents would be guilty. Right in the middle of a presidential election in which he is losing very badly. This is called election interference and yet another attempt to rig and steal a presidential election. More importantly, it's a political persecution like something straight out of a fascist or a communist nation. This day will go down in infamy and Joe Biden will forever be remembered as not only the most corrupt president in the history of our country, but perhaps even more importantly, the president who, together with a band of his closest thugs, misfits, and Marxists, tried to destroy American democracy. All right, pause. So, but they- how are we doing so far? Okay, especially you guys who are burned out on Trump, and you guys know I'm in that group. You know I am. You know I'm in the same group as you, if you're burned out on him. I mean, you got, you got to admit that's pretty good. Rigging the election, stealing the election, political persecution... It's like a fascist or communist nation. Biden's the most corrupt president in history. Him and his band of thugs and Marxists trying to destroy democracy. He's setting the stakes, isn't he? Um, he's right about Biden, too. It's a Biden had classified documents 
from the uh, a a sensitive compartmented information facility. It's called the SCIF. In the Senate, he took them. We don't know why he took them. We don't know what he took. They were stored as archive at the University of Delaware Biden Center, or the Biden Institute, which was a sealed public access. The public access was sealed to these records. But what's egregious about this is he took the documents to his home in Wilmington and then put them in the garage next to his classic Corvette. Stored him in a garage next to a classic muscle car. Great looking car. Unbelievable stuff. Gotta admit it. It's a good looking car. He had boxes at the Penn Biden Center, which is another one of his offices. Uh, recall that when the Penn Biden Center opened, all of a sudden, as well as the Biden Institute University of Delaware, uh, Chinese donations flooded both of those institutions. Peter Schweitzer's invaluable reporting gave us that bombshell. Not prosecuted, DOJ hasn't looked into it, no special counsel. Now, the whataboutism is really good for the public narrative. It's very good for when you and I talk about this stuff amongst ourselves and uh, when we go to Father's Day barbecue over the weekend, whatever we're doing. I'm thinking about doing my pork butt. It's the, this, is the, this is how fathers do the Father's Day is I want to cook. Do any mothers want to cook on Mother's Day? I miss Dr. Marlowe's a hell of a cook. I don't, I don't recall her cooking on Mother's Day. I think I'm going to cook on Father's Day. I'm, I'm digressing. It's an important day. I shouldn't go. I shouldn't do that. Or maybe I should. Anyway, the point is, is that when you're trying to make this case to your friends, how can you deny that example? How could you deny the example that Hillary Clinton set up a homebrew server specifically so she could deal with classified documents, of which there were thousands, and not have anyone know about it? Of course that's the case. Considering at any moment in time, Trump could have declassified these documents. Now, we don't even know what they were. It's the, they're, they're using the Espionage Act. They're making him seem like he's a, a traitor, which he'll get to in a second in this speech. But one thing you know about Trump is that he's a memorabilia guy. He's, he collects uh, mementos. He loves this stuff. Didn't he just put out a book? What was his book he just put out? What was the book Donald Trump just put out? Survey says letters to Trump. Literally people who had written the guy over the years were compiled into a book. This is a guy who was president of the United States, is currently running for president, has wonderful properties and golf courses and can meet with cool people and has a pretty cool family aside from a couple of exceptions. You know what I'm talking about? A couple of exceptions. Most of them seem pretty cool. And he's taken time to sift through, sort out, compile a book of letters that were written to him. Guy likes memorabilia. I'll tell you something else he gets. He gets that the establishment media is the bad guy. Uh, if you need more evidence, I wrote a book about it called Breaking the News, which I think is more relevant than ever in a lot of ways. Um, if you're new to the broadcast, you pick it up, please. And he knows that in the next five or 10 years, whatever it's going to be, we are going to see a version of the 2015 to 2020, 2021 time period of American history get written by left-wing woke historians and journalists who are going to explain that this time that we've all witnessed together is totally different than how it actually was. 
And if Donald Trump has some of these documents that he could declassify, maybe he made a mistake and didn't do it. But if he could have declassified these, maybe something in those documents is something he'll be able to use inevitably when his legacy, his life is going to be uh, held up to the court of public opinion. It's going to happen. You know it is. And if he's got actual firsthand primary source documents that could refute the narratives about him that will go on for probably the as long as there's an America, at least the next several decades, probably next hundred years, 200, whatever it is. We're going to look back at this time. So the problem that I, I do want to warn the audience about, and I'm very negative about this, I have to admit it, I'm very negative about this. You can't just say, what about her emails and, and use that as a legal defense. It's not. It's not a legal defense. If there's a special counsel appointed in Hillary Clinton, and there wasn't, Donald Trump could have appointed one, didn't. Or he could have at least put the right people in place to appoint one. But if there's a special counsel in Hillary Clinton, she would have been in bad shape. Now, there is a special counsel investigating Trump. And that's why we're here. And if he's on tape, as all the reports are suggesting, where he was literally explaining that I could declassify the stuff, I didn't do it. And that's in his own words. He's in big trouble legally. Now, uh, I I don't take my legal opinion. We'll wait for Joel, get his take a little bit later on the live show. Uh, And I will try to highlight the best legal minds on this stuff at Breitbart.com and on the broadcast as well. But uh, I, I don't I don't think Trump's case here is good enough. I'm, I'm upset about that. Because it is a political persecution. We know that political prosecution. But that said, once he's in the courtroom and he's on trial, it was political to get to the trial. The trial would not have gotten there if he wasn't the bad orange man. But because it's there and he's going to court then I don't think that what about Hillary is a good defense. It's not. So he tries to lay out his own case. We'll get to that in a second. Let's keep rolling with the clip, Zach. They will fail and we will win bigger and better than ever before. Charging a former president of the United States under the Espionage Act of 1917, wasn't meant for this. An act for a crime so heinous that only the death penalty would do and threatening me with 400 years in prison for possessing my own presidential papers, which just about every other president has done, is one of the most outrageous and vicious legal theories ever put forward in an American court of law. The Espionage Act has been used to go after traitors and spies. It has nothing to do with a former president legally keeping his own documents. As president, the law that applies to this case is not the Espionage Act, but very simply the Presidential Records Act, which is not even mentioned in this ridiculous 44-page indictment. Under the Presidential Records Act, which is civil, not criminal, I had every right to have these documents. The crucial legal precedent is laid out in the most important case ever on this subject known as the Clinton Sox case. You know what that means? 
After leaving the White House, Bill Clinton kept 79 audio tapes in his sock drawer. They included discussions of U.S. military involvement in Haiti, discussions of U.S. foreign policy, both defense and offense, against Cuba, recordings of President Clinton's conversations with all of the many foreign leaders at the time. Think of that. Sensitive facts about trade negotiations taken from presidential briefings, discussions with the Secretary of State about conflict in Bosnia, and much, much more. Very big stuff. Not only was Bill Clinton never even considered for criminal prosecution based on the tapes he took, but when he was sued for them, he won the case. Judge Amy Berman Jackson's decision states under the statutory scheme established by the Presidential Records Act, the decision to segregate personal materials from presidential records is made by the president during the president's term and in the president's sole discretion. You're surprised to hear that, aren't you? Any normal administration, even an opposing one, would consider that to be the end, but not the corrupt Biden administration. The Sox decision, as it's known, also states, quote, the National Archives and Records Administration, or NARA, does not have the authority to designate material as presidential records. I don't have the authority. NARA does not have the tapes in question, and NARA lacks any right, duty, or means to seize control of them. This is law. The President enjoys unconstrained authority to make decisions regarding the disposal of documents. That's unconstrained to make that decision. Neither the archivist nor Congress has the authority to veto the President's decision. The Presidential Records Act does not confer any mandatory or even discretionary authority on the archivist to classify records. Under the statute, this responsibility is left solely to the President of the United States. Think of that. That's the decision. Think of that. All right. So it's okay. Well, we'll we'll, we'll leave it there for the sake of I can't I can't I got to interrupt him. But he's laying out his case. I have no uh, I have no opinion if this is has any legal basis or not. But that's the case he's making. He's making the case I was a president. I can do what I want. And they're going to try to bust him on technicality. And they've got him in his own words admitting on the technicality. And that's that's going to be the problem. Um, but overall, we know what this is. It is a witch hunt of the highest order. It is a, a former Trump defense attorney has said that the uh, that this is uh, the case is irreparably tainted by government misconduct. Exactly right. Jack Smith, the special counsel, very weird guy, um, has a wife is a big Biden donor, big activist, left wing activist. But that's OK in this country now You have left wing activists whose husbands get to investigate former presidents and then try to lock them up. So uh, we're going to have to see how bad it gets. It could get bad, but we know what the point is, what the regime wants. The regime wants Trump in prison. Mark Levin pointed out that he would die in prison. Yeah, that's good math. I mean, considering they want to lock him up for 400 years. 
And just a reminder, any of you who don't think that it's important to fight back against the left, roll over, find common ground with them, pile on Trump, still alarmed why there's so many Republicans who are not getting on board. Mitch McConnell won't say anything. Uh, a handful of the candidates, I don't, don't need to tell you which ones, not saying anything. Congressman Andy Ogles has introduced articles of impeachment against Joe Biden and Kamala Harris for, I mean, does it even matter? I mean, they've they weaponized the presidency against Trump. I think that's the main thing. But the it should go beyond that. Everything the guy does is impeachable. And we need to start seeing Republicans start taking the stuff seriously. Start taking the pushback seriously. Marco Rubio summed it up pretty well. He said the damage of prosecuting Trump far outweighs the damage of the alleged indictment. Is that not exactly right? The indictment is zero stakes because it's a technicality. The prosecuting of a former president is incredibly high stakes. And Joe Biden is a guy who campaigned on unity. He ran for president specifically on the idea that he could unify the country after we've been divided. So taking a guy who's polling at 60% in some of the Republican primary polls and trying to put him in jail for a technicality. Now, it might be an illegal technicality. I'm not saying it's not illegal, but on some, some technicality, that's not how to unify the country. It's how to divide the country. So uh, it, it is, if you want to know the secret to Joe Biden understanding what he's doing, just look at what the Democrat base wants. That, that is his trick. That's his parlor trick. Look at what the base wants. That's what we're doing. The base wants Trump's blood. So that's what he's doing. It, it is the clearest pattern I can identify with this guy. And that means he's not looking at the Breitbart comment section. It doesn't mean anything to him. And seeing you guys all fired up, ready to take out the, you know, pitchfork and torches, figuratively speaking, not literally, for you Soros-funded freaks, who really feel like you're watching your com- your country get crushed before your eyes. He doesn't care. All he cares about is, where's the, where's my base at? And my base is into this. They're having a party over this. All right. Uh, 866-95-PATRIOT for the benefit of the podcast audience. And those of you who don't subscribe on podcast, recommend it just in case. Yeah, back up to hear the show if anything goes wrong. Um, the I will point out some of the trans stuff. Just the woke stuff has been insane. The White House, Joe Biden, uh, having the trans flag, The not even the trans flag, it's the progress flag. That's the one that has the, it's the groomer flag. It's the one that's got the pink and the blue stripes as well as the brown and black stripes, if like racism, they have to make it about racism too. I mean, the gays just can't have their flag. So the gays have their flag, and then it so quickly turned into it's about race and trans. If I was a gay who actually was oppressed or shamed or discriminated against, I would hate this more than anyone. And some of them do. They reach out to me sometimes. Like, what's going on? It's a, we were actually oppressed recently. And now we're in this thing where all of these uh, groomer perverts are getting lumped in with us. Um, and if you think that I'm exaggerating, then just see the spectacle that was on the White House lawn. Uh, everyone's seen it. I don't need to dwell on it too much. But a man who had gotten a boob job um, took his shirt off, 
And this was a interesting scruples question that was raised because if it was a man's chest just with fake breasts in them, then does that count as nudity? How about that? That is the question of the era that we're in right now. We are getting confronted with these really important questions. So anyway, the man took off his dress and had his um, you know, breasts out, was holding his breasts, and uh, then posed for a photo with Biden. So this individual is banned from the White House now, but the photo's have already gone viral. And uh, Biden loves this stuff because his base loves it. That's the math. Um, it, it was very noteworthy that they seemed, it seemed like the flag was, they took this photo of the flag. It almost looked like it was a, uh, one of those old-timey guillotines. It was going to chop your head off, the trans flag. Pretty wild. Wild stuff at the White House. Uh, it, was, it broke the flag code, as I'm sure you've also heard by now, but I will point this out. That you're not the if you have a multiple flag formation, the American flag has to be in the middle, according to our code. Uh, it wasn't at, at the White House. Very discouraging. Very discouraging. The Queen Jean Pierre was needless to say unprepared to answer questions about this. She doesn't. She says, "I'm not going to get into protocols." She doesn't understand. They don't. They don't respect the American flag. They now respect the trans flag, which is a meaningless flag. It means nothing. I, 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 if we go to the moon next, are we going to put the trans flag up there too? Or just the American flag? It, it is, uh, it means the, the reverence now is the American flag has been surpassed by the progress flag. So the topless trans person will be banned from the White House. Great news. Thanks. Um, I will point out that Paul Ryan, who said Trump is not electable after the indictment, who's on a warpath against Trump, the uh, darling of the Republican establishment, who's supposed to be the future of the Republican Party, now an executive of Fox News. Uh, he said that he's against woke legislation. I'm not a culture war guy. It's polarizing. If you're not a culture war guy, what does he care about? Money? Is it just money? He says, I'm worried about the future of our country in China. The big policy problems we need to tackle if we want a, tw- a great 21st century for this country. So, okay, none of us are dis- disagreeing with you on China, but he's worried about the debt crisis. So he just cares about money. The guy just only cares about money because the donor class got to him and he said what matters most is, is money. It's a, all of you who have to endure this level of confusion, which is every day in, if you have a middle schooler, you're a high schooler, every day you're getting confronted with this thing where people are getting indoctrinated into this cult, uh, which is where we're celebrating people's fetishes and we're being told that any sort of insecurity that you might have in your life, any sort of problem that you're working through, we all got problems. We all got to work through them. That one of the solutions is to uh, 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 to take life-altering medicine, take go undergo life-altering surgeries, many of which people are forgetting, 
and you're almost getting pressured to do that. He doesn't care. He's not into it. He's not a culture war guy. Uh, the Republican establishment is so lost. They're so lost. They failed us. And I, I really do hold them accountable. Uh, we are not going to be able to compete with the left with uh, losers like this. Okay. 866-95-PATRIOT. I will tell you, Paul Ryan depresses me as much as Jack Smith depresses me. I will tell you that because the controlled opposition is what's really going to seal the deal for the left. If the right does not get that this is a absolute war for the soul of this country, luckily not a hot war, but a ideological war, then we're not going to make it. We are not going to make it. All right, when I want to know actually what's going on on a complicated subject matter, I tend to turn to Joel Pollack uh, for good reason. He is one of the longtime uh, stalwarts of Breitbart News. He's also a double Harvard guy, Harvard undergrad and Harvard lawyer. So he is a very useful tool in my arsenal, one of my secret weapons. Well, not so secret today because we have him on and he breaks down Trump's case. Let's hear it. Joel, what's the timeline? When did when did they uh, when did they realize these documents were gone and when did they decide they want to go get them? And uh, maybe most interestingly, why didn't Trump just say, you got me and then give them back? Good morning, Alex. Well, there were stories pretty early on about Trump arriving at Mar-a-Lago with boxes of documents. If you remember back in 2021, there were some reports that some boxes had been taken there and that's when the negotiations began, really, when there was a question about what was there. And Trump's lawyers were fighting to help him keep some of these documents. Now, keep in mind, of the documents that we know were ultimately seized by the FBI and the government, there were some 13,000 documents and something like 300 or so were, quote unquote, presumed classified. We don't know if they were classified because we can't know and we don't know at what level and we don't know if they were properly classified or if they were just overclassified the way so much information in Washington is. But 300 out of 13,000 is a very small number. If you think about the pictures of those boxes, which people say are so damning and so bad for the former president, that's a lot of boxes. And to find 300 out of 13,000 you know, you'd have to sift quite carefully through all of those documents. It's not like all 300 were sitting in one of the boxes. So when the president says he hadn't finished going through all the documents, that it would take time, I actually find that plausible because he's a former president. He's fighting various other legal battles. He's also planning various other political campaigns. And he says he wants to sit and go through 13,000 or so documents He's not necessarily doing it all himself, but, you know, that takes time. I mean, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. And maybe he legitimately thought he was going to protect things that were his, that were his personal papers. And maybe he did not know what was in there. Now, now we know he had to know something of what was in there because 
the transcript of the audio recording with a reporter that appears in the indictment shows him discussing one of the documents about an attack on Iran. So, so he knew where some of this stuff was in the boxes, probably. But this all becomes very, very murky. And we've just never seen any president subjected to this over papers they've taken, certainly no kinds of uh, criminal penalties, no, no raids and so forth. There's, there's nothing we've really seen, even in this indictment, which people are describing as serious or devastating or whatever. There's really nothing that tells us they had to treat the president this way. Maybe there's something in these documents that's so terrible. But the, the one example they give in that transcript is a document that supposedly outlines plans by General Mark Milley, who was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, plans to attack Iran. Now, why did Trump talk about that? Trump talked about that because Milley let it be known that it was Trump who wanted to attack Iran. Milley, in a sense, leaked first, or people close to Milley, because there were articles in the press, in the New Yorker, for example, claiming that Milley was the one restraining Trump from going after all these countries and attacking them. And Trump felt that he wanted to rebut that. But he could only do it by referring to information perhaps in these documents. Well, how did the information get out in the first place? How did Milley's side of the argument get their story to the press? Well, somebody had to leak. So why isn't Milley the target of a special counsel investigation? That may be why Trump retained some of this stuff. He may have known that there were people in the White House who were going to try to claim this or that. And it's also possible he was bluffing. He may have just held a blank piece of paper and waved it at a reporter. We, we, just, we just don't know. But in any case, it's clear that Trump felt that he was within his rights as president yeah. to retain at least some of this stuff. Under well, the it, it, okay, so, so, so let, let's focus on this because this was the case he made, and I played it, those of you who are just tuning in, I played it in you know, five, ten minutes in the show. I'm not going to replay it because it's a long thing. But Trump basically laid out his legal case yesterday. Uh, it's the... Uh, can you evaluate the case? Because this is basically the position he's taking. I think it's very smart for the court of public opinion, but for the court of law, um, is it making sense? He's basically saying I had the right to declassify things, so they're declassified, all good, uh, uh, leave me alone. That's in a nutshell. Well, I think it does actually help him in a court of law. There's one thing he said that hurts him that I'll get to in a minute, but... Most of this helps him, and I think these are good arguments for the most part. Now, the court can decide to ignore them or to allow the prosecution to proceed anyway, but there are going to be pretrial motions to dismiss these charges, to dismiss the indictment, and those may be fought all the way up to the Supreme Court because most of these are cases of first impression. We've just never had to have these debates before. We've never had to determine whether these things apply or not. And you might say that's a very good reason not to bring this prosecution. If you've never gone after a president before for these reasons and you've never tried these legal theories before, maybe it's a good idea not to do it because you're going to inevitably draw the charge that this is about politics, especially when it's not just a former president but a future candidate. Now, on the other side, they say, well, we've never had a president who behaved this way before. But what Jack Smith didn't say in his brief statement to the press last week was that Trump's conduct was so egregious, it was so bad that it required them 
to do this, to take the unprecedented step of charging a former president and future candidate, in fact, the leading candidate. All he said was they had to uphold the protection of classified information and the rule of law. That ship sailed a long time ago when they decided not to prosecute Hillary Clinton. And we haven't seen yet what happens to Joe Biden. He's not going to be prosecuted when the other special counsel comes back with his report because he's the president. But the other special counsel may come back and decide that what Joe Biden did was much worse. So for this special counsel to move with all of those precedents still hanging over the whole thing is is very bad. And I think Trump is going to be able to say, you filed this indictment without referring to the Presidential Records Act, which is relevant, and it's the reason he was acting the way he did. And I think the judge is going to want to hear both sides at least explain their reasoning on this point. And Jack Smith is going to have to explain to this court, maybe to the Supreme Court, whether he thinks the Presidential Records Act applies here. And that could stop this whole thing before it starts to get into the trial. There's one thing that hurt Trump that I mentioned before. Sure. And that's when he he denigrated the prosecution. He called Jack Smith a thug. He called him other names. And you can understand why Trump feels that way. You can even agree with him if you like. Jack Smith has a very bad record in these kinds of cases. He has gone after politicians before and yeah. ruined their careers. Okay, give, give me some examples. I know I'm making you interrupt your train of thought, but this is important. Give us some examples because this is big and I had to get I had to get briefed on this too myself. Well, if you remember, Bob McDonnell was prosecuted for corruption because he took various gifts while he was governor and he was convicted. Governor of Virginia. But yeah. Governor, he was former governor of Virginia, but it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled eight to zero against Jack Smith, and they overturned the conviction. Why was this important? Not just because Jack Smith failed, but also because Bob McDonnell at the time had been the first Republican governor. He was elected the same year that Chris Christie was elected, and it was McDonnell and Christie in 2009 who represented the new wave of Republicans coming to office in a reaction to Barack Obama's radical policies. And many people thought Bob McDonnell had a shot at becoming president of the United States. He was popular. He was a pioneer in the new conservative movement. And this prosecution took him out of the running forever. There was no way anybody was going to consider him a legitimate presidential candidate after being accused of corruption, having all this dirty laundry aired, and embarrassing things said by his wife at the trial. So, There was a political element to the prosecution in that it eliminated a potential rival for the presidency. And that's a very important parallel to this case. Then there's John Edwards, who was also a potential president. He ended up falling away and not winning. And eventually, if you remember, he was he was the failed vice presidential candidate for John Kerry. But he also had his reputation ruined. He was a left wing progressive populist, actually. And he was completely taken out of politics by this prosecution, which showed that he had taken payments from an admirer to pay to keep his mistress quiet and to pay for her expenses involving her secret pregnancy and all that sort of thing. Well, the jury in North Carolina, I think it was, just decided that this was a ridiculous prosecution and they acquitted John Edwards and Jack Smith came away with nothing. And then he went away with his tail between his legs to Europe, where he became a war crimes prosecutor, which is a great job because the cases take forever and the targets of your investigations can't really go anywhere. 
and everybody's on your side because you're the one supposedly upholding human rights and things like that, and the people who don't like you are in some miserable little country far away. So that's where he was when he got called up to the major leagues again. He had been an acting U.S. attorney in this country until the middle of 2017. Of course, that was when Donald Trump took office and was not going to name Jack Smith a U.S. attorney. So he left. He went overseas, and he had this nice little job. And and he just has this very checkered record. I, I think that's legitimate grounds for public commentary. But Trump got personal. And what I think is going to happen is Jack Smith is going to go to the judge, Judge Eileen Cannon, and say, Your Honor, you can't have Trump denigrating the prosecution this way. And she's going to try to stop Trump from doing that and maybe even from talking about the case in public at all. And even though she's a Trump appointee, she's going to feel compelled at least, I think, to have a hearing on whether or not Trump can comment on the case and how far he can comment. And whatever her ruling is going to be, that's also going to be appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court because, again, it's a First Amendment issue. And it also shows you the risks of indicting a major political candidate, the leading candidate of the opposition, and trying to tell them what they can and can't say during election season. You know, Democrats made a big deal out of the Citizens United case. What was the Citizens United case? It was a case involving a movie that was made about Hillary Clinton that the Federal Elections Commission wanted to ban, essentially, close to an election. It was about free speech during an election. Now, the Democrats hated that ruling because it allowed corporations to have free speech. But the Supreme Court has previously ruled that there are, of course, very few limits to freedom of speech at all, but especially when it comes to an election. So Trump, if this comes up in court, and I think it will, Trump's going to tell the judge and then possibly the Supreme Court, you can't gag me during an election. You're violating the First Amendment. And it's a win-win for him because either he gets allowed to say whatever he wants to say or the Supreme Court decides he can't say bad things about the prosecutor. And then half the public feels like Trump's once again a victim because the prosecutor can say whatever the heck he wants about Trump and his indictment, but Trump can't respond. His opponents can say whatever they want about Trump, but Trump can't respond. So this is why you don't go after a former president or leading opposition candidate, because it raises all these thorny issues that are going to put the system to the test, not just Donald Trump. Joel, this is where, do you think that this is something that, uh, what are the chances are that the grand jury or court, or that this is going to be interpreted in the same way Trump's interpreting it? Because I, I as a non-lawyer, I can't tell if this is spin um, or if this is Trump spin or if this is um, actually hard and fast law. Well, it's not hard and fast law, but these are all legal arguments that are credible. And I've often found that when President Trump makes these kinds of arguments in cases, as he's made many times over the years in all the different investigations that have targeted him, he is a very, very good lawyer. He actually would have been a very, very good lawyer. And if you look at his business career, he's been in court a lot, not criminal court, which yeah, is interesting. Course. He's, he's right. never been on the wrong side of the law. But he has spent a lot of time in his business career mapping out legal strategy. And he's very, very good at this. He's not just making this stuff up out of thin air. These are good legal arguments. They've been made by serious people, by serious lawyers. His first argument, which is that the Presidential Records Act does not apply to these cases or that the Espionage Act was never intended to be applied to a president, those are fairly high-level legal arguments that 
you may not be hearing in the media because they're not interested, but you are hearing them from the serious people like Mark Levin, for example, who, though he's a conservative talk host, is actually a very, very seasoned, experienced and intelligent litigator who's got his own legal foundation. And Mark Levin was making these arguments from a very early stage when nobody else was saying that the Espionage Act of 1917 was never intended to apply to presidents, because if it had been intended to apply to presidents, then every other president before the Presidential Records Act was passed should have been charged under the Espionage Act for taking material with them when they left the White House or making it disappear in the case of Lyndon Johnson, for example. So this is a very, very strong argument. I don't know that it matters once you get past a certain procedural stage of a criminal trial, because Again, there will be all of these pretrial motions on matters of law and what evidence is allowed and what isn't allowed. This judge may take a very dim view of the fact that the D.C. court allowed the prosecutors to pierce the veil of attorney-client privilege, to ask an attorney what Trump said to the attorney, which is normally never allowed. An attorney can never tell anybody, including a court, what a client said to the attorney. You have to go to the grave with what your client said to you. The only exception is what they call the fraud crime exception, where what the client is saying is in further furtherance of an effort to commit a crime. And that's what they got a D.C. judge, a very prosecution-friendly D.C. judge, mm. to agree to. And so they told the grand jury and they pulled Trump's lawyers up there. But this judge in Florida is going to say, wait a minute, nothing really justified you doing that. If you looked at the Charges? Yeah, Joel, Joel we're not going to leave it there for now, but uh, I know you'll be on Sunday, and we'll, we'll get your take on your handicapping of where this is going to go next week. Wonderful stuff, Joel Pollock. Don't miss every, anything he writes at Breitbart.com. I'm American-made. That's today's show. Uh, we owe a debt of gratitude to Zach Jones, who puts the show together. Bill Barnett's our other producer, and Robert Marlowe helps me pick topics. Thanks to all of you for listening. Head over to Breitbart.com. We'll see you tomorrow.